Thanks, Con. Am I on? Yes. As you can see from the screen, I'm Russ. I'm uh, not the, the Russ that's in charge of the men's ministry. That's the guy with the cool glasses. Right? I'm not the Russ that runs the PA system. He's young and still has energy. <laughs> I'm filling Russ for when our pastor's gone. <laughs> so did you know that uh, College Drive is a great pre- uh, place to preach? It's a lot of fun preaching here. Uh, it, it's just a joy. Not that, it's not that way in every church. Some churches it feels like you're dragging the congregation up a hill the whole way. Uh, when I uh, was in Manitoba, I worked for the denomination for seven years. And I traveled around the province and preached in different churches every other Sunday or so. So about 25 churches a year. And I remember in this one church, midway through the sermon, I, I was thinking, do I need to stop and see if anybody's still breathing? And then I noticed one guy in the front there, he rolled his eyes at me, and I, okay, I got one. (laughs) That's good enough for me. At the end of the sermon, it turned out they were all alive. Who would have thought? (laughs) What makes those uh, churches kind of hard to preach in is the energy is all going in one direction. But there's other churches where it feels like you're riding a wave of energy, where the people are fully engaged, they're with you all the way, And it's a joy to preach there, and College Drive is one of those churches. Now, I'm not telling you this just to butter you up because today's sermon sucks. (laughs) Now, you see what I mean? You laughed at that, and it wasn't even funny. Bless you, folks. Okay, uh, better get on with the sermon. We're going to start with a game of Family Feud College Drive style. We asked 100 people who attend church at least once a month, so regular attenders, uh, to finish this sentence. And the top four answers are up on the board. That's, that's what you're supposed to say, Right. Uh, and the, the question, they asked, they were asked them, to, oh, in reality, I didn't ask anybody. Uh, it just sounds cooler when you say you did. Uh, this is just from my experience of talking to people about this kind of stuff over the last 30 plus years. The question. I know that reading the Bible regularly, daily, would be beneficial to me, but I don't because... I don't read the Bible regularly because. Anybody want to guess? Top four answer on the board. Uh, What? (laughs) The old guys are also a little bit deaf. Anyhow, number four answer. I got to look. It makes me feel guilty. Reminds me of all the stuff I've done wrong. Answer number three. I don't understand. Believe what I'm reading. Number two. I just don't got the time. And the number one answer is, when I read the Bible, I just don't get anything out of it. Can you identify with these answers? Make sense to you? 
I think they could all be summarized in one answer. And that answer is, when I read the Bible, I don't really connect with God in any meaningful way. There's nothing that happens. There's, there's no connection. There's no life-giving thing for me. Does that sound about right? We, when we connect with Jesus, it's life-giving. We always make time for things that give us life. When we connect with Jesus, he gives us power to feel, to understand our forgiveness, power to understand his word, to believe his word. So we're in a series called Once Upon a Savior. And today we're going to focus on the story of the two travelers. We've been working through uh, our way through uh, the last week of Jesus' life. And last Sunday being Easter, of course, we focused on the resurrection, the beginning of, Acts, uh, of Luke chapter 24. And today we're going to continue in Luke 24. All the events of Luke chapter 24 happen on Easter Sunday. It starts with the women going to the tomb and they don't find Jesus there. But a couple of angels show up and say, he is risen. And the, uh, the women run back to the, the disciples Tell them what's happened, but the, uh, verse 11, the disciples think that the women's words sound like nonsense. But Peter goes to check it out, finds uh, what the women described. It's, it's, it's right, but he doesn't see Jesus. Next in Luke 24 is the story that we're studying today. Two disciples walking to Aramaeus seven miles to the west of Jerusalem. And as they're walking, Jesus can, uh, comes up and walks alongside them, but they don't recognize him. When they finally recognize him, he disappears. They rush back to uh, Jerusalem to tell the disciples that they've seen Jesus. But before they can say that, the disciples say, it's true, he has risen. And Peter has seen him. And then the two describe what they've seen and experienced and while they're still talking, Jesus appears and talks to them all. Now the point of Luke chapter 24 is that Jesus is indeed alive. And because he's alive, we can connect with him personally. A connection that is real and personal. Because he's alive, he will walk with us. Because he's alive, he will meet with us. Because he's alive, we can connect with him. And that connection can be real and personal. It's life-giving, it's empowering, and it's for you. Sound good, right? There are many ways, or I shouldn't say many, there are several ways in which we can connect with Jesus. But the one we're going to focus on today is the main way, and that is through the study or reading of Scripture. And the reason we're focusing on that is that's what's happening in the passage in the story that we're going to study this morning. I'm going to be upfront with you, what, my goal. What am, what am I trying to accomplish with this sermon? And the answer is, I want to get you to consider uh, connecting with Jesus regularly by reading your Bibles. I want you to read your Bibles daily. But that's only the start. I want you to connect with Jesus. A connection that's real and personal, that is life-giving through the scriptures. 
And so the plan for this sermon is this. We're going to read through the passage. We're going to stop every once in a while, make some comments. And then we'll talk about three reasons from the passage on why we fail to connect with Jesus. And then we're going to end with talking about what we can do about it. So let's get started. Once upon a Savior, the travelers, Luke chapter 24, starting with verse 13. Now that same day, Easter Sunday, two of them were going to a village called Aramaeus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. Do you ever find it surprising that they didn't recognize him? But that's what happened to Mary Magdalene in John chapter 20. She thinks that maybe Jesus is the gardener who maybe moved Jesus' body. Now why wouldn't they recognize him? A couple of reasons that I've heard is, first of all, maybe his physical appearance changed. It must have changed at least some. That would make sense. But the second one is maybe the more uh, real or more important one. He was so ordinary. He looked like just any other traveler walking down the road to Aramaeus that day. I imagine some people passed them, and you ask, well, you know, who did you just pass? They said, well, I don't know, just three guys walking and talking. Nothing special. Just ordinary. Now, you'd think that if God Almighty rose from the dead, he'd appear glorious and powerful. But no. Just ordinary. Now, there's a day coming at the end of time where he will come in power So much so that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. But on Easter, when he came back, he appeared very ordinary. We'll come back to this. Verse 17, he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. Jesus' simple question stopped them in their tracks, and they were downcast. Their hopes had been destroyed, and they didn't know what to do. You know how sometimes when you watch a TV show or you read a book, you're told something at the beginning of the story that the people in the story are trying to figure out the whole way through? Like, for example, maybe as you you're begin reading a book, you're told that one of the characters is a terrible thief. But yet he acts in such a way that everybody trusts him. And you can see him setting it all up. And you're like, oh, don't trust this guy. Don't trust this guy. But they're trying to figure it out through the story. Well, here in Luke's story, we know, as the readers, we know that Jesus has been raised from the dead. But they don't know. In the book of Luke, this is Jesus' first appearance after his resurrection. We know he's alive, but those who he's appearing to don't. They're in the dark. Why are they downcast? Because they don't know what we know. They don't know that Jesus is alive. They think his claims have come to nothing. Verse 18. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, 
Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there these days? What things, Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. They're downcast because they don't know that Jesus is the Messiah. They think, and notice it's past tense, he was a prophet. A powerful prophet, but what good is a dead prophet to you? How is a dead prophet going to redeem anything? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, a powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. You think, and another thing we know that they don't know is that God's way of redeeming Israel, and in fact all of us, is for the Messiah to die and rise again. They don't know that. They're hoping that, or they were hoping, that Jesus would redeem Israel by overthrowing the Romans. But God's way was so much better, so much bigger than what they had in mind. God's way was not their way. They were hoping for one thing, and God was doing something much bigger instead. But God's way meant that the Messiah had to die. That was the way of redemption. They didn't know what we know. Now the irony in this passage is, is a thick. Here they are. They've witnessed one of the most powerful, wonderful events in all of history of God's dealing with human beings. And yet, they're discouraged and depressed. Verse 21. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning and didn't find his body. They came and told us uh, that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb, found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see him. At this point, the disciples, including these two, just aren't sure. The, woman, the women had reported seeing an angel, that Jesus was alive. But as Luke says in verse 11, these words seemed like nonsense to them. Verse 25, Jesus said to them, how foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter his uh, glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning him. That phrase, Moses and all the prophets, is shorthand for the whole Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures. Jesus is saying that all the Old Testament is about him. A more literal translation of verse 27 says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. If we jump down to verses 46 and 47, Jesus claims that the entire Old Testament is about him. 
He is clear. He says the entire Old Testament speaks about him, particularly his death, resurrection, and the spread of the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, we should not take that to mean that Jesus believed that every word in the Old Testament is literally about him and his death and resurrection, but rather that every part of the Old Testament points forward to a king who's going to come and die and rise again. Verse 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going farther, just like he did when he walked on the water and he was going to walk past the boat, right? But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen. Now the, the Greek word that's translated, it is true, is the same Greek word that is used a chapter earlier, uh, chapter 23, verse 47, by the centurion at the, at the uh, foot of the cross, saying, surely this was a righteous man. The, the uh, use of that word these two times is the essential facts of the gospel. Jesus surely died a righteous man. And he truly rose again. And saying, it is true that the Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. Then they two told him what happened on the way. And, now, and how Jesus was recognized them by them when he broke the bread. Okay, from this story, let's talk about reasons why we might not connect with Jesus when we read the Bible. The first one is, sometime our connections with him just seems too ordinary. Not really glorious at all. Jesus in this story seemed like just another traveler. Just walking down the road like everybody else. My guess is some of us are waiting to, uh, for a flash of light or a voice from heaven. Something glorious, something earth shattering. And sometimes that happens and people have this amazing testimony. But for the most part, God speaks to us in a still, quiet voice. And it seems really, really ordinary. Jesus in his parables describes the advancement of the kingdom of heaven to a yeast in a dough, in a batch of dough that slowly but surely takes over the whole batch. That's how God's word most often works. Little by little, we change. Our character, the deep parts of who we are, change as God's word takes hold in our lives. Over a long period of time, the change is really rather glorious. But on a day-to-day -day business, man, it seems so ordinary. Some of us might be waiting for 
a voice from heaven before we become Christians or before we make a commitment to follow God in a deeper way. But most often, God uses ordinary things to connect with us, to pull us towards himself. Don't wait for a blinding light. Secondly, we might not connect with Jesus when we read scripture because our ways are not his ways. When we look at what, uh, what happened in the story, that the two travelers were wanting Jesus to redeem Israel from the Romans. But now he was dead. How is he going to do that? But God's ways weren't their ways. God was redeeming not just Israel, but all of us, all of humanity, from something much worse than Roman oppression. He was redeeming us from sin by dying in our place. Now, when we first start looking for God, we're not Christians, but we start seeking God, or we are Christians, and we start to maybe become more serious about our connection with God. You know why that is? Just about always? It's because there's some kind of crisis in our life. Some, some kind of thing that's causing us pain. And we start to seek God. But we seek God for a specific solution from him for our problems. We want him to change our circumstances. But God sometimes is, has something much bigger in mind for us. We just have trouble recognizing what he's doing. We want a change in circumstance. And he wants to change our hearts. Now why might we not connect with Jesus when we read scripture? Well, first of all, because it might seem really, really ordinary. Secondly, it might be because God's ways are not our ways. And the third one is because we think the scriptures are about us. In the story, Jesus clearly says that the scriptures are about him. But very often when we read the scriptures, we think it's about us and what we have to do. And that's the perspective from which we read the Bible. About 10, 15 years ago, I recognized a pattern in my own life. Here's what the pattern was. Every time I'd read the Bible, the thing that most often jumped off the page at me would grab hold of me was something about what was wrong with me. Where I'd sinned, where I didn't measure up, where I was, you know, a screw up of some kind or another. And so I'd focus on me and how screwed up I was and I'd mess what the Bible says about God and how glorious he is. Now I don't know if it's because of my background, but when I would read the Bible, what jumped off the page at me were things that were wrong about me rather than what was right about Jesus. And I would miss what the Bible says about the goodness and greatness of God. You see, I was making the Bible about me. And when we do that, it does not lead to devotion and it doesn't lead to deep love for God. Rather, it leads to guilt and striving and trying hard to be a better person. And it screws with us, folks. 
You see, there's two ways to read the Bible. First, there's the moralistic way, where the Bible is about me and what I have to do. The second way is to read it as a Christ-centered, in the Christ-centered way, where it's about Christ and what he has already done. Now, let me explain to you what I mean by this. Some of you uh, who listen to Tim Keller will recognize this next little bit. But let's just take the story of David and Goliath. If I read it from a human, if if the Bible's about me and what I have to do, then what's the moral of David and Goliath's story? The moral is, if I have enough faith, like David, if I try really hard, if I have courage, I can take on any giant and I can defeat it. Yay, let's go. At first, it's very inspirational. We can do it. Let's take on the giant. It's inspirational. But as we begin to think about it, it crushes us because we can't do it. At least not consistently. Even David couldn't do it consistently. If I read the Bible and it's about me and what I have to do, it'll crush me. And that's why lots of people don't read the Bible. But if I read it as Christ-centered, then what's the story of David about? Well, Jesus is our better David. David was the youngest one, the smallest one. God uses the weakest one to defeat the enemy. Jesus comes, he dies in our place to take on the giant of sin and death We don't have to fight our giants because Jesus already has done it for us by dying in our place. That, reading the Bible that way, leads to devotion. It's empowering. It motivates us to change. It's life-giving. So, If we struggle to read the Bible, what do we do about it? Well, let me explain to you what I do, what's helped me and lots of other people, how to connect with Jesus as you read the Bible. But first, let me me point out to you a sequence that's in this story. Here's the sequence. First of all, they're studying scripture. They're walking down the road with Jesus. They're talking about the Bible. Right? Secondly, their hearts start to burn within them. The scriptures are starting to do something within them. But then they get to where they're going, and Jesus acts as if he's going to go on, but they strongly urge him to stay. And then they recognize him. I find this exact same sequence happens in my life if I cooperate with it. Here is the sequence. I should look at my notes. (laughs) Okay, here's the sequence as it works for me. First of all, add this little bit first step. I pray. I say, God, speak to me today. I want to meet you. I'm so screwed up. I need you today. Come and talk to me. And then 
I read a scripture passage, and I find, it, I find it helpful to have an assigned scripture passage rather than just willy-nilly picking whatever I want through the Bible. And so Sharon and I use an app. We'll go to the next picture. Ta-da, there it is on the left, that Bible app. We use that. And on the right, you see, uh, the, this is the Bible reading plan, Digging Deeper Daily. And today's date... This is the passages of Scripture. Deuteronomy 27, uh, Psalm 63. Remember that. Psalm 63. Remember that one. And then Acts 16. And so Sharon and I find it useful to use this. We use use some kind of reading plan that gets you through the, the Bible in a year. But I want you to remember, folks, the goal is not to read through the Bible in a year. Lots of Christians get screwed up with this one. The goal is not to read through the Bible in a year. The goal is to connect with Jesus. And if you're short on time, I'd rather have you read less and do some of the next steps. Because we need to connect with Jesus. Okay, so first of all, uh, go back a slide now. Yep, all good. Okay, so uh, I read slowly, not in a rushed manner, because I'm expecting God to speak to me. The third step is, as I read, I note the things that start to tweak in me. What's, where does my heart start to burn? Often, this might be seen as something really, really ordinary. And then fourth... And I would compare this uh, to in the story where they don't urge Jesus to come. He just keeps on leaving and they never recognize him. What I start to do is I pick one of those things that's burning and I start to write it in a, I write in my journal, my thoughts about what God is saying to me. Writing helps me slow down. And if God is gonna speak to me, I need to slow down. I'm a, get on with the day, let's do this. And when I'm that way, I don't hear anything. I don't even hear my wife. Just ask her, right? We're listening again. Strike that one from the tape. (laughs) You see, If I'm going to hear God, I have to slow down. And what works for me is writing. Because I I can write a lot slower than I can think. And then the last step is I pray about what I've heard God say to me. Now some of you might know this whole method of reading as SOAP. S-O-A-P. I know Kimball has talked to some of you about soap, and I want to challenge you to give soap a try for the month of May. Soap was developed by a pastor from Hawaii, a guy named Wayne Cadero, and uh, people in our denomination connected with him about 20 years ago, and so lots of us in the Mennonite Brethren have been doing this for the last 20 years. Soap... The S stands for scripture. 
You read through the scripture passages for that day. Wayne Cadero's plan involved reading through the Bible or the, the whole Bible once a year plus the New Testament a, tw- a second time. And quite frankly, I found for most people that's a little bit much. But use some kind of method where you have a, you don't even have to read through the whole Bible, but have some kind of method, or some kind of plan where you know what you're going to read. Then O stands for observation. You start to write down what caught your attention. A is application. You write about how you will apply this in your life. And then P is prayer. You pray about what you've written down. Now to close, I thought I would show you what this looks like as I practice it. Now remember the reading for today included Psalm 63. So guess what? I read Psalm 63 about a week ago so I could do this and have it for you up here. I was tempted to find one of these where some wonderful insight hit me and you'd go, oh wow. But you know, the reality is most days it's kind of like this. But here, here's how it goes. The, the soap part, the, the S stands for scripture. So I wrote out these verses. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I, tr- I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Now the observations about that. The psalmist lists these three things uh, about his relationship with God. First, he earnestly seeks God. Secondly, he thirsts for God with his whole being. And third, in the past, he's seen God's power and glory. The A stands for application. I desire that kind of thirst for God, where I earnestly seek him. Hearing about his, this guy's thirst stirs my heart. I want that. His thirst seems to be connected to seeing God's power and glory in the past. In the past, I've seen God's power and glory. And and then in my journal, I'm going to list of where God showed himself real in my life. And then the P stands for prayer. As I uh, reflect on times when you've displayed your power to me, it stirs me to worship you. Cause my heart to yearn for you. And some of you might look at this and say, what, that's it? That seems awful ordinary. But my friends, it is kind of ordinary, but it's powerful if you follow through, if you stick with it. You can experience a powerful connection with God that's real and personal. Now one last thing. In the story, these two guys are walking together, Jesus is walking with them. They're doing it as a group. There's power in doing this as a group. Where everybody's on the same reading plan and you've read the same uh, 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 scripture that day and you get together, you meet somebody, hey, what did you get out of the Bible reading today? And you all read the same thing. Back in my old church when we 
the devotional for the beginning of committee meetings was just simply, what's God been saying to you through what we've been reading this last couple of days? So here's my challenge. Challenge to all of you. Give this a try for the month of May. But for the men, I'm inviting you to come on Wednesday mornings, 7 o'clock in the morning, bring a Bible, a notebook, and we'll meet in the fireside room, and we'll do this together. And when we're finished, we'll go out to IHOP and eat some pancakes. I was going to say, talk to me about this if you're interested, but I'm going to be in Bow Island the next couple of Sundays preaching over there. And so, talk to Kimball, I guess. <laughs> or or the, other, the, the, the rest with the cool glasses, talk to him. I think we're done. <laughs> I'm all sweaty. It was a little harder work today than I thought. Oh, oh, there is something important. That good thing I looked at my notes. There's instruction. If you want to know how to do this, but I was going too fast and you didn't. There's instructions on the welcome uh, desk. It says for men's prayer time, but anybody can take the instructions and, and use them. My challenge, let's do this in May and see what God does for us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is powerful and active and alive and that through it we can connect with you in a way that's real and personal. I pray for us as, as a church. Be gracious to us. Allow us to connect with you. Allow us to hear your voice. Allow us to recognize when you are speaking to us, even when it seems so ordinary. Father, we, we want you. We want to connect with you. Be gracious to us. Amen.